time to talk politics this morning. Our political commentators Neil Jones and Ben Thomas are with us. Neil Jones was Chief of Staff to Labour leader Jacinda Ardern and prior to that was Chief of Staff to Andrew Little and he's the Director of Capital Government Relations. Also, uh, he has a personal connection to the Office of the Minister of Covid Response and also Ben Thomas with us, PR consultant, former National Government Press Secretary. Kia ora korua. Morena. Uh, ben, I might start with you, actually. Let's talk a little bit about the reset, uh, the reopening of the borders when they come in March or thereabouts, I think was the closest we got to a detail. Um, what was your sense of how that all worked, where the parameters have been set and whether it's achievable? Yeah, I think the government actually exceeded expectations with their announcement. Um, in the past, they've been, you know, they've signalled that they'll have an announcement of an announcement of a possible announcement. Here, they actually did the same kind of thing. Um, you know, when you drilled down into it, it didn't actually give you that great an idea of when we would be, uh, you know, reconnecting with the world, embracing the rest of the global community uh, at the airport like Love actually. But it certainly sounded as if it did. Um, there was there was a, a sort of framework built up in terms of, you know, the three pathways for countries of different risk. But so much hinges on this idea of, you know, everyone being vaccinated or sufficient people being vaccinated, which we don't really have a, a guide a guide on mm. uh, where where the government thinks that that level uh, could or should be set at. Okay. Um... Neil, let's talk about isolation uh, specifically on this. The idea of home isolation for people who are coming in and out because of business, is that going to fly? I think once we're fully vaccinated, um, when, when you look at the pathway set forward, there's a home isolation part there. I think that that's a risk that is manageable. I, I have deep concerns about the trial that's been put forward for businesses starting from October, mm. when we will have very low rates of vaccination still, and all it takes is for one person to sort of decide to pop down to the shop or to invite a friend over for a beer, mm. and you've got del- you could have Delta in the country. Um, the the prime minister said, "Well, they'll be attached to businesses, so there's some skin in the game." I, I would note that both in New Zealand and the UK, the health minister has had to resign at one point because they've broken isolation <laughs> rules. And if anyone has skin in the game, you'd think it was the minister of health. So I'm just, you know, I think we need to be realistic that. The reason MIQ has largely worked to keep uh, New Zealand COVID free is because it's basically been like a complete lockdown on them. Mm. And I just I just think that the government should really rethink this. I think, think they'll have to be very careful. Yeah, do you uh, think that's a risk, Ben? Oh, it's absolutely a risk. And it's not to do with people being bad actors. It's, you know, we saw it... Um, when people were, were trusted to self-isolate uh, in the early stages of the pandemic last mm. year. And, you know, people I knew who were coming in from overseas and had gone to great lengths to find, you know, a cinder block apartment to hole up in for two weeks for their self-isolation mm. would talk about the per- people in front of them who were saying, oh, well, we will be self-isolating because we'll be travelling around in a combi van without anyone else. Mm. Um, <laughs> <you know, laughs> self-isolating away from everyone except you know, the rest of the tourist community, shops in small towns. I'll be uh, self-isolating as soon as I've got my supermarket shopping. Yeah, and, and people, you know, naturally sort of tend to think, you know, Everyone seems to have developed what they think is an unerring uh, sense of whether they themselves have COVID at the present time uh, since the pandemic began. And 
look, you only have to go into a koru lounge around the nation uh, to see this, the, the way that, you know, the sort of entitlement and liberties that frequent <laughs> business travellers will take <laughs> if they're given a chance. Um, and I, I think that most businesses and employers will really use their best endeavours here. But, you know, honestly, without a, an ankle bracelet, I actually think, you know, it, it is a risk. And even with an ankle bracelet, it doesn't stop someone coming around for a beer. I mean, you'd have to have a security guard at their door or something mm. like that, which at that point you might as well put them in MRQ. And how much also... Basically, for the, the, yeah, the, the Amazon workforce is well geared towards it uh, when they come. But other than that, yeah... How much of this is following the science um, and how much of that was a political decision, a nod to business, Neil, where, it, it, you know, the government has uh, come under fire, really, from, for, from some of the elements of the business community and, and was this something that they had to give a nod to? Well, this one here appears to be driven by the business community and to be a political decision. Um, I think it was David Skegg, the government's advisor, who said the government came to us with this and it wasn't something we recommended. Mm. So it is a political decision, which... You know, when you look at the rest of the plan they put out, which I think was very sound, that was evidence-based. They'd sat down with the experts, they'd looked at how do we safely manage reopening, and they'd done a really solid science-based approach where they'd avoided political targets and really just kept it open. So it is confusing why Mm. they've abandoned the science for this bit. Well, look, all of these decisions ultimately will become political. Um, you know, we were, I was just mentioning before the rate of vaccination at which we'll decide people are vaccinated. Um, you know, all of these are political decisions. I mean, I, I copped a bit of flack online the other week for um, doubting, doubting the contribution of St Ashley Bloomfield. Um, and, and the reason for that is I think actually the real heroes of this pandemic response have been Jacinda Ardern, the Prime Minister, because the, the important calls have been political ones, not mm. scientific ones. Yeah, and there, and there will come a time when, for all this has been laid out as a, the scientific basis, there will have to be political decisions about when do we open up. Because at some point, someone has to make a political decision about this is the amount of hospitalisation, death mm. and illness we're willing to accept. Well, see, Sean Handy last week, uh, I think, came closest when... Uh, I was talking with him about what what are the numbers around vaccination. And he was talking 60, 70, 80, possibly even 90, although I think that's a moonshot. Uh, And he's talking whole population, not adult population. He's talking children as well in terms of vaccination. So who and when do we take that hard call about if people are offered the vaccination, they're offered it more than once, at what point do we open those borders and... Well, that's, that's Leave go- people to it. I think that's going to be the big political debate of mm. the coming months um, because it's easy to say there is, there is a, an argument you could make that, well, if people have been given the opportunity to vaccinate and they haven't, be it on their head. The problem is we're not going to deny them hospital treatment. No. You know, they're going to be in, I- in our ICUs, they're going to be clogging up our hospitals and we're going to be very quickly overwhelmed. If 30% of the population is not vaccinated and we have Delta... That is going to completely overwhelm our hospitals, and that means other people trying to get treatment um, miss out, and mm. we have field tents like you see in Texas. So we actually do have to, you know, all of us have to have an interest in everyone being vaccinated. Ben? Yeah, and, I, and, and, and there's even questions about, you know, everyone getting the opportunity to be vaccinated. Um, 
if if you look at it on that a whole of life kind of thing, you know, a lot of people, particularly say in rural areas in lower socioeconomic groups, um, don't have a good understanding of vaccines. They, they haven't been educated about it. You know, not trying to sound patronising or anything, but um, people come to this with different levels of knowledge. So I mean, it's easy. It's very easy to sort of sneer at the kind of you know middle class, you know, Instagram wellness people. Um, and, and we should. <laughs> and we should. It's fun and easy. But but at the same time, you know, we can't just sort of say, well, look, you know, we've had the website up on the Ministry of, you know, on the Ministry mm. of Health site. Um, you know, it's been going for three months. Anyone could have booked in. Uh, you know, devil take hindmost. So I, th- I actually think the government needs to be much more proactive. I think that the I've been very disappointed um, in the comms around the vaccination rollout. Um, I don't think that it's been nearly as sort of all-encompassing or, uh, you know, sort of full-court press as as we had for the lockdowns. What more is needed stages. on that score? Uh, look, in, in a, in, I, I do a bit of work for <laughs> overseas NGOs. Mm. Um, look, if they, if they need to get people vaccinated, they go door-to-door. I was going to say they, Samoa <laughs> is doing exactly that. Put some red yeah. cloth out at the front of your house and the vaccination van will be along shortly. We saw with the census in New Zealand... When, when we decided to have an easy-to-use, convenient, uh, smart website system that, may, you know, that streamlined the whole thing, participation rates fell to a level where it's barely usable. Uh, but when we, when we employed students to go around and hand out papers and check that everyone had filled out their census, uh, we actually got usable data and we got almost full compliance, and nothing beats boots on the ground. I suspect we'll get to that, though. I mean, Chris Hipkins did say in, in, a, in a video that's now gone, viral, completely misinformed by anti-vaxxers that he was going to chase people down later on. I think at this point, you know, the vaccination program is scaling up. We're heading towards 50,000 a day, which people thought wasn't possible. I know the opposition were thinking it was going to be a Kiwi build, and it wasn't. So we are getting people as a country through the doors, getting vaccinated in large numbers. I think that next phase will be who hasn't been vaccinated and go door to door and drag them out if you need to. Let's talk a little bit about The energy situation, of course, uh, last week, the power going out to certain, well, certain areas all around the country, actually. Um, Megan Woods in charge of all of this, and and everyone seemed to be forming a, almost the kind of Mexican standoff position of blaming each other for for what happened. Um, Where where does the, the blame, if the blame is the right word, or where does the responsibility on this lie, Neil? Well, the minister is always responsible. Mm. That's the unfortunate thing of being a minister. Um, but I thought Jacinda Ardern did a good job on the day of doing that thing where you channel people's anger rather than become the target of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Megan Woods was, was quick to point out where power companies had failed. I think where the, where the failure actually lies is a confluence of bad things. So you had a dry year, you had a very cold night, which meant people fired up the heaters, and yet a hydro dam of Genesis's, which apparently got some weeds tied out or something, and it tripped. Um, I think, you know, there is questions about transpower. Their communications all round were pretty sloppy. For example, sending an email to the minister at 8.30pm. That seemed extraordinary um, that that was the way of communicating about <laughs> an imminent outage across the country the, the, was someone the, sending an email com- out of com- hours. These companies, they, would, they would have gotten an auto-reply saying, you know, <laughs> the, the minister will respond in 20 working days. Um, Thanks for your inquiry. Yes, um, companies like Transpower hire people like me to um, ring ministers and say there's an emergency. Mm. Um, the, they're also, I think, 
understand they mismanaged their tool they used to calculate demand, and there's questions about whether Genesis should have fired up Huntley and whether they had time. I think more broadly, though, I mean, the system should be robust enough not to fall over Mm. when there are a series of bad things. There should be some resilience. Well, especially when some of these things are quite... uh, You know, we've we've known it's been a dry year for some time. Mm. We knew it was going to be a cold night right across the country. Those were not surprises. So I think... Getting some weeds stuck in the... Whatever (laughs) that... Yeah, that... Apparently that happens quite a a lot. But but, but if that's what is enough to derail the whole Mm. system... That would seem to be significant enough that that questions need to be asked and yeah. some answers and need I to be provided. I think t- there are two things here. One is that we need more security of supply. So I think Lake Onslow and the New Zealand Battery um, Project, which was basically going to have a bunch of hydro that's ready to go in an emergency. Mm. Um, until then, the government could look at requiring a strategic reserve. And I think more broadly, the government may want to look at the structure. Um, the Max Bradford reforms back in the 90s they never delivered the, which broke up the power, the electricity system. They never delivered the power savings they promised, and now it's clear that they can't deliver security of supply because you've got multiple companies without full information who have conflicting interests and who have an incentive to keep the system right on the edge to make the greatest profits. Ben, your take on this, because, of course, Megan Woods is usually seen as a safe pair of hands on things. Oh, look, absolutely. But, I mean, the, the, the minister certainly doesn't have operational um, oversight of these companies. These mm. companies are, are are pretty much all listed uh, power generators now, uh, thanks to the share sell down. Even before that, they were SOEs. So, she, 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 you know, it, it's hard to get into the, you know... The, the the labyrinthine you know uh, details um, you know of selling power into nodes and you know and, and how the, the electricity sector works where you know it was interesting that the government so quickly sort of leapt to the idea of um, a bit of a, a corporate conspiracy um, to, to price gouge um, and and those sort of rumours about um, about different generators have been swelling for years, you know, since I was an energy reporter at the NBR, you know, a decade and a half ago. Um, I don't think it's ever been proven. Um, and and, and it, it is interesting that, you know, that some of those, some of those concerns are now mainstream enough that even, um, you know, po- politicians are sort of, you know, kind of sl- slightly giving them a voice before walking them back uh, in, in short order. Yeah, look, Neil's right. You know, there, there is an incentive. Um, the, the idea was meant to be that um, because all power is sold at the marginal price, i.e. the most expensive mm. bit of power that's being generated at that time, that was meant to incentivise, you know, the next build. Um, but but what, it, what it tends to do is sort of incentivise, you know... N- it disadvantages the first person to build new build. And also the RMA has made it very, very hard to get new renewables up. There's big, uh, you know, issues with new thermal generation, you know, from a PR point of view, from a, a carbon point of view. Um, you know, in in the old days, when we had, uh, you know, brownouts, the government would just whack up a new sort of 100 megawatt thermal peaking unit, you know, that ran on diesel or, you know, hmm. you'd, just, you'd cut down a forest and feed it in or something. Um, but it's not really <laughs> it's not really politic anymore, you know. They, they, they usually just run a few, you know, a few old Volkswagens which would turn a turbine. Well, you know? we, we keep importing um, coal though, so, hmm. you know, it, it's, it's same but different maybe? Yeah, well, this and and this is one of the, the the chief issues is that currently our peaking 
capacity is mainly Huntley. Mm. So anytime you get near the top of the demand curve, you have to you have to start burning coal in Huntley. And there's no real way around that. Genesis are sort of painted as villains because of this, but it's not their fault that they got given the giant coal-powered plant, you know, back in back during the breakup, rather than you know a bunch of dams that make money by water flowing downhill. Um, but but you know, but but in order to remove Huntley, which is you know a huge power plant and, and that peaking capacity, yeah, you, you need an alternative like the vastly expensive. You know, d- d- dubiously, d- dubious success sort of prospect of the Onslow battery, um, or you need to create dams or uh, geothermal elsewhere in the country. And you know, there is no appetite to dam up more rivers. Um, you know, this, this is you know one of the the ironies is that we we all want more renewable energy, but we don't want them to be built in the environment. Mm. So, which is know. problematic in itself. Um, does the government, though, Neil, need to sort out whether that is a communications sort out or more generally have a, a kind of a rapid rethink and, and re-put together of some of its plans around energy? I think it does show they need to um, get a move on with Lake Onslow and the broader New Zealand battery project. Um, they're just, you know, these things take years, decades, and we haven't got that long to muck around. Um and so that might mean some faster consenting, some speeding up of of the um, of the feasibility study. And I think as well, I'm sure Megan Woods will be having some hard conversations within the within the sector. And I find one of the best forms of regulation is often the threat of regulation. And so I think um, she may want to sort of have some hard words and say you need to work together and make sure this doesn't happen again. And meanwhile, I'm re- reviewing you. Ben, what do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, you know, even aside from the sort of physics difficulties you get in into with these sort of pumped hydro schemes, um, it, it's just a, you know, it, it, it does disincentivize new builds. You know, mm. if, the, if the government is coming in with a huge peak power uh, plant, you know, that, that depresses prices and makes it harder for people to, you know, for, for the private uh, sector players to, to build themselves. So there's no easy answers here. Um, I tend to agree with Neil. You know, the, the idea would be to sort of, you know, call an inquiry and see what they can bring to the table. What kind of projects can they bring forward? Because, you know, a lot of these companies have just been sitting on consents for a long time uh, because there hasn't been... You know, quite enough demand to make it economic. Um, there, I mean, there is some stuff coming on. Contact's got some geothermal stuff coming on. I think Meridian's looking at wind farms. But I think your point's well made. I, I think there is a broader thing, though, which is if Megan Wood sits down, has the conversations, the officials look at it and say, actually, the market incentives mean that um, we're not going to fix this. We do have a climate crisis, and so it might be that if our power, our electricity system is not geared towards tackling the climate crisis... We should probably look at how we structure our electricity system. Hmm. One other thing, uh, just looking at the time, 25 past 11 already, um, that you were wanting to speak about, Neil, or touch on, was uh, what happened with Winston Churchill last week? <laughs> um, it was the most bizarre thing. So Judith Collins has, you know, she's been distracted quite a lot on fringe issues and Aotearoa and, you know... Um, Getting oh, into a twist on, yeah, yeah. And getting into a twist on conversion therapy, and she got to conference last weekend, and she said, "Right, that's it. We're going to focus on the issues that matter to New Zealanders, and here are seven big issues: things from housing through mental health, etc." And said, "That's going to be our big focus now, and that's the right thing to do. 
um, when you're in opposition, you don't want to get caught in sideshows. You want to focus on things voters care about. Mm. Um, she then promptly got into a <laughs> bizarre um, story where she um, went to the media about the Greens having asked for a picture of Winston Churchill in a corridor to be moved, and National wanted it, so they got the picture, and got into a whole media cycle about that. Even Scott Simpson even launched a petition about bringing back Winston Churchill. Um, and it just struck me as another example of how Judith Collins seems unable to be able to stick to a core message, maintain that crucial message discipline that an opposition leader needs, and just seems to always be dragged back to her base impulses, which are always to spark culture wars, get into fringe issues, and ultimately talk about things people don't care about. How do you see it, Ben? Was this about some sort of culture war issue, or was this political opportunism? Look, I think it was, uh, sort of as Neil was describing, I think it's political ADHD. um, That, you know, I think this wasn't even something she went to the media about. You know, she tweeted, Mm. tweeted something. And look, that's a fair enough thing that you tweet for your followers, you tweet for the people who already like you. Um, You know, I remember a few years back she had her picture taken with a portrait of Maggie Thatcher in my old boss Chris Finlayson's office. And that got lots of likes from the people who sort of like that sort of thing. And... um, but but to be sort of derailed and then to start getting into arguments about Winston Churchill's place <laughs> in history and the disrespect, you know, this would have been a good tweet for, you know, oh, the Greens are getting rid of Winston Churchill. Well, he's found a good home in the National Party caucus room. Um, you know, that's it. You know, and that's th- the end of it. F- four retweets, mm. 30 faves, you know, move on to the issues affecting New Zealand. But Collins seems to have this issue, and, and we saw it with the Aotearoa um, name thing as well, where she can't just seem to say, well, actually, that's not important. Instead, she's got to just dig in and sort of defend, you know, any kind of fleeting thought or preference or opinion she has to the death, like somebody on a, on a you know, 2000s message board on the internet or something. Um, and, you know, and it really does detract from the messaging and, and she's just got to... I mean, I would give her the same advice I would give every politician, which is get off Twitter. Mm. Mm. Sound sound advice. Sound advice for anyone, really. Uh, just very briefly, <laughs> <laughs> just, just very briefly, Ben, because uh, we're running short on time. But um, how damaging is something like this? Or is it damaging when, when you've said, right, we're going to focus on these seven things and then immediately you're looking at something else? Well, I, don't, I don't know how damaging it is, but, it, it, you know, there's... There's two years till the next election, but that's a finite number of days. Uh, you have a finite number of days where you can put pressure on the government. Um, you know, this has not been a, a particularly sterling period for the Ardern government. Um, and to, to talk about things which... I can't even think of many culture war aficionados who are interested in the Winston Churchill portrait. Um, you know, this is just not something that will get any kind of engagement. Um, and if you're trying to build a portrait of yourself, you know, for, for voters, um, you know, somebody getting extremely exercised about a painting is probably not it. Thank you very much. Ben Thomas, Neil Jones, our political commentators this morning.